five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to The Essentials. I'm Rob Swinar. Today I have an adult entertainer who goes by the name of, name of Salem and who has a mo mon what is it? Mongo? Mogo name? What's your mogul? Your regular name? Artemis, right? Artemis, yes. That's my portfolio name. But you, you, you said Mongo or... Muggle. Muggle. Muggle, yes. My <laughs> right. human name. Non-magical name. There you go. Okay, Muggle. Yes. Um, she's in today because uh, she travels all over the place, and I thought it would be a great uh, interview to have. Um, so, what... Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. And uh, what... Like like I do normally with these things, where did this start? <laughs> I honestly, I'm not quite sure when exactly it started, but um, when I first came back to Edmonton from BC, I was in a university for a few years. After dropping out, I needed to find a job, and just a way to get by because university was just not really doing it for me. There was no inspiration. I didn't feel motivated. And as always, I just always kind of had a bit of a restless feeling at the back of my mind. I shouldn't be here. I should be on the road. I should be somewhere. What were you taking? Um, at the time, I was taking general studies. So that's a course that lets you pick any subject you'd like to study within reason. So I've, took a, I've taken um, courses such as anatomy, physiology, sociology, anthropology, um, Art history was a big one for me, as well as Greek and Roman mythology. Those were my two favorite ones. And um, psychology. I'm not quite sure if I mentioned that earlier, but that was one of them. I should also mention that you are an artist as well, right? Yes, yes. And you've had gallery? I had a small gallery opening um, in a vaudeville theater in Melbourne for a night. Oh, nice. Okay, well, let's kind of back up to, so you, so you go to university, you find that it's not fulfilling you. Nope. And so how did you fall into uh, being an adult entertainer? Well, um, even before I started university, I started off as a, as a model for friends that were working in their photography class. And one of the first shoots I did was... Uh, almost based on a Papa Roach song called Hollywood Whore, and for the shoot, I need to take my top off. So, you know, completely topless. My photo took a, my friend took a photo of me. Of course, I had my, my chest covered within reasons. I hand bra mm -hmm. with the words whore written across it, and I think I was the only person that was crazy enough to help her with her shoot when she was in high school. And uh, she just kept on coming to me for work, and... As I, when I came to Edmonton, I just took on nude modeling. And that just sort of lent a hand to my getting into exotic dancing eventually down the road. Because it was something I never really considered back when I was in university. Were you getting paid for the nude modeling? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. But um, a couple of times I was just working with photographers that were... For the, concept, for the yeah, concept. For the concept. Yeah. And it was for the practice as well. So from there, you you kind of you fell into the adult entertainment. Yes, I was working a two three jobs at the time, and I just burnt out really hard. And I needed one job that I could just work at, so I didn't continually burn myself out trying to pay my own bills and rent. And the money was the equal money, to all the three jobs, or better? It was better at the time. Yes, 
I, uh, I worked at a small club in Edmonton called J. Pierre Cabaret until for approximately four months until I could afford my ticket to New Zealand. That's when I took off. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then so you, you worked there, you save up money, and then you decided you wanted to travel. Bought a ticket, took the ride. And that took you, where did you end up in New, New Zealand? Uh, my first stopover was um, North Island in a town called Auckland. So landed there, um, injured myself when I first got off the plane. I dropped my luggage directly onto my kneecap. And uh, yeah, go me. Decided to dance on it. Nice. So injured myself a bit further. <laughs> Wasn't the wisest move, but. What was the draw to New Zealand? Like, how? so what? Oh, yeah, so what drew you to going there, of all places? Um, I think because I had the money to be able to get out of Canada, and as a little girl, I always talked about going to India or going to see the ocean. So it was a, leaving Canada was a really big thing for me, and you know, once I started stripping, it became a little bit more apparent to me that I should just use this industry for, you know, my... For my own benefit and just see the world while I'm at it. And ends to a mean for traveling. Basically. Precisely. And so you, so you picked New Zealand. Yep. And how was, explain the experience of being there. And how long were you there for? I was there for a year, 12 months. Oh, wow. Yeah. I loved it. I really did love it. It was just the best thing I could have done for myself at the time. Did you do your art? Of course, yeah. yeah. I worked on my art a lot there. What do you do? What, what uh, in your art, what is it that you actually do? I do a wide variety of things. I used to write. I still write, actually. I try to write daily. Um, I paint pictures. I draw. Um, sewing is my main mode. Of It's my main focus. Do you make clothing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm hoping in the fall to take on a course in uh, jewelry design. Nice. In Vancouver, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're down in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's the, what is the atmosphere in general, I guess, with the strip clubs? Because, you know, I'm sure most people have some sort of thought that it uh, can be pretty uh, iffy. For, for a female as far as safe safety wise as far as dealing with uh not the best people or best men <laughs> this is true but um my reasoning behind that is you can find that anywhere yeah. even in canada there'll be issues wherever you go and i figured i did my research i looked into new zealand i looked into the clubs and i went into it full knowing that prostitution is legal there as well as stripping and it's a little bit more open about it. They have brothels there, and they have escorts working alongside dancers. No, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, there's still a bit of a segregation, but it's a gray area still. Do you work through a company, like a management company of some sort, like a talent company? Or do you no. freelance it and just say, yeah. I'm this is what I am, and, and are you interested in having me in there? Precisely what I do. I was True Blue freelancing yeah. throughout New Zealand and Australia. Wow. No agencies, nothing. There's no agencies to be had there. You pretty much just rock up to a club and they may ask you to audition on the poll if stage work is heavily what they do. Like I did in Showgirls. They had me audition when I rocked up and 
they hired me on that night. So when you went there, did you have a job to go to, or you you just yeah. went and said I gonna... just I just went and I was just like, well, let's see how this goes. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty. Uh, what do you call it? Um, ballsy. <laughs> I've always been a bit ballsy. <laughs> so you're there for how long? Uh, you were there for a year. A year, yes. And what? How, how was the experience in whole? Is you know like, does anything stick out in your brain or or like? Um, yeah. I um I feel like I grew into myself as a stripper while I was over in New Zealand because I only spent four months, my first four months as a stripper in Canada in a very small club. So, you know, I truly had no idea what it was like to be in the big leagues until I probably fired myself into New Zealand and just kind of hopped into a bigger club, Showgirls. That was my place that I worked at. Wow. Yeah. And did you find that that was like for your personal life? Did you have balance between personal life and the work life? Like, I don't know how, how late you work and, you know, like, or is it a routine of basically you work, 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 and then you get days off or? Um, it was a little bit of both, honestly, because sometimes I let work take over my life completely. I'm quite the introvert when I'm not working. So I spend a lot of time by myself working on my art, planning concepts for shoots, arranging shoots. It's not like I go out on the on the weekends if I do have a weekend off and party. Yeah. So sometimes it was hard to pull back from the work. And did you find that the community down there was uh is it kind of the same difference you know as far as the the strip club community and uh i guess the photography community because it sounds like you were doing shoots yeah. is it very similar to canada's is um, it different the new the kiwi slash canadian attitude is very similar mm -hmm. you know new zealand people are very welcoming canadian people are very welcoming um i love i love kiwis they're they're fantastic people just the whole culture and they love their strippers so whenever every weekend showgirls was just busy packed full of people so like i don't know what the what the population is is it was it safer more open like culturally i guess it used you were saying it's more open or, or certain aspects are more open with at least with uh, prostitution did you yeah, get marriage is legal there too actually it's there? just yeah. kind of you know it's it's treated the way canadians are treated well yeah everyone has the right to marry they mm -hmm. actually have a church I remember walking past Simon Street and seeing the church that kind of more encourages the gay people to get married there. It's still, you know, anyone can go, but they've got a really pretty rainbow printed printed on it. Wow. And uh, it was really cool seeing that. Did you get to travel around to the different towns and or cities much? Unfortunately, I got stuck in a contract with Showgirls in um, North Island, so I didn't have very much time to myself to go over to South Island. But I did go further north for a circus festival camp huh? towards the end of my visa. How was that? That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. I got to work with fire dancers, trapeze artists, contortionists. I didn't even know they had. Well, I guess I never really thought about it, but that would be kind of a cool, <laughs> a cool thing. New Zealand's got quite the circus scene. Is it is it pretty artsy and create like that kind of vibe? Yes. Yeah. I just New Zealand's got a circus scene that is matched by no other. Hmm. 
there was just there's fire meetings at certain nights put on by local um, Aucklanders to just get together and play with fire toys and help each other work on their skills and performing. Wow. Yeah. So the, so you go through the whole year, mm-hmm. and then you decide you're going to come back, and so now you're basically back to Vancouver and Edmonton, right? No, I actually um I took another year. Oh, I, did it? I um I flew to Sydney. Oh. After my uh, it, my visa was up okay. there, since I didn't decide to extend it. And you, so now you went to Australia. Yes. And you're there for a year too. I was there for eleven and a half months. Wow. Yes. How was that? That, I think that was the intense year of growth for me. Yeah, in yes. what way? In just so many ways. Um, it was, it was kind of, I kind of figured New Zealand was so easy that Australia had to balance out the scales a bit. So, um, a lot of lessons were learned while I was in Australia. In what, and like what, as in safety or safety general safety overall because australia is very much different from new zealand they may be pretty close geographically but the cultures are pretty different more aggressive australians are a bit more aggressive (laughs) um they're fantastic people don't get me wrong but once they start getting on the liquor oh yeah i had an experience with an aussie when i was about 22 and we polished off a bottle of tequila which turned me off tequila for about 14 years so mm-hmm. i'm fully aware <laughs> yes yes their um their drinking culture is a bit full-on sometimes so a more aggressive not as safe environment not as safe um they uh they're a little bit more disrespectful towards exotic dancers i feel yeah. i did not make nearly as much money as i did in new zealand there mm-hmm. I worked twice as hard for half the pay. So more of a grind? Most definitely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did, however, pick up a job in a vaudeville theater during the day. So, I mean, it was $40 a shift, 40 to 60 totally illegal. But, I mean, I still had fun. I still met more performing artists, and I um, I just found solace within a community of artists yet again, yeah. this time performing artists. So it was um it was amazing meeting all of them. Did you yeah. get to travel around the area or did you get the same kind of thing? You kinda of got stuck into a contract and you get couldn't really travel too much or um lucky with me there was no contracts that I signed. So I pretty much, you know, once the relationship to the boss and the vaudeville theater ran its course, I decided to move on and just take a road trip up to Queensland, which was a 14 to 16 hour road trip far north of um, of Australia, I believe, to a tiny town called Toowoomba, where I danced in Australia's best club <laughs> called The Vault. Yeah. Yeah. And then was it any better there or the same kind of... It was the best money I made by far, yeah. and it was the best club I danced at by far. What would a, a typical night cost? Like, what would you bring in on a typical night? I never made less than $200 there. A night? Yes. They had these fantasy rooms, and I usually got booked into them a lot. Um, because on stage, I wear big black boots, so I look like a, like a dom. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of lawyers, a lot of doctors book me into the, to the dungeon, which was a fantasy room. 
where you pretty much chain up customers and you get to paddle them, you get to feed them, <laughs> get you can make them do, you can do, make them do push-ups. You pretty much just degrade them for however long they decide <laughs> they want to be degraded for. It's, I just, you know, I just kept them getting booked into that room and uh, it was just fun money. That would be interesting. <laughs> oh, I loved, I loved working at the vault. <laughs> So you go through, so you're in, where is it, Victoria? I was in uh, Queensland. Queensland. Yes. What am I thinking, Victoria? Uh, so you're in Queensland, and uh, how long are you there for, or do you go anywhere else after that? I stayed there for three weeks, um, and then I went to Sydney, which my main club called the Velvet Underground, I believe it's closed now. They closed soon after I left. They, um, that's my main club. That's where I worked most of the months that I lived in Australia. And that was the one that was a bit of a grind? Um, yes and no. It was, um, that's where I had a lot of emotions, I guess, there in that club. Yeah. Because it was, you know, it was really intense at times, really bad money. I didn't know if I was going to make rent. And then other times I had regulars come in and then. It would even it or make you feel better for doing what Even for it being out. There. Yeah. yeah. And so, where do you like? Do you when you when you're in places like that? Do you room up with people that work there, or do you find your own place? And I find my own place. Yeah. I'm usually fond of hostels. I usually just kind of I walk around. I find a place. I'm so used to being on my own that solo travel is just. I'm more used to just kind of finding my own way through cities. And with hostels. You're obviously going to run into a lot of travelers. So, was there yes. any interesting experiences with that? Um, I was a bit quiet in the hostels. I kept to myself a lot. I went to work in the evenings. I kind of figured you would miss a lot of yeah. No, I um, towards the end, I started opening up a bit and talking to people, and found some found some really fantastic people. Yeah. There was a lot of German people that stayed in the hostel and. I get along with Germans great, so it was just, it was a win-win situation. That's I, uh, I've never actually stayed in a hostel, but I do know people that travel by, with, with that intent of hitting towns with them. Yes. And, and researching them and making sure that they got, that they're good or safe or whatever. Well, it's really important that you look into hostel safety and... And they're considerably cheaper, right? They are considerably cheaper. Um, I lucked out and I got a very... Um, beautiful all-female dorm four-bedroom with a balcony on it so whenever I just finished work or I had the night off I just sit and read or write on the balcony while I had my smoke breaks no so if you were there for a year you would experience their their hot the Ooh, heat yes how was that <laughs> it was stifling yeah um some days all I could do was lay in bed and sweat which is hard to imagine considering we just came out of winter here right but yeah. Australian summers were intense. Yeah, I know friends that have, that live down there and have experienced that, and they said the same thing. It's just brutal. Yes. But so you have this wonderful experience mm -hmm. of being and traveling. So how does that affect? How did that? It must have affected your art, your create creativity levels. Must have went up significantly. I feel as though they have. Yeah. Um, once I learned to adapt to my environment and just continue making my art no matter what area I'm in, because I've, I've been sewing dresses in hostels. I, um, I finished a handmade gown, started and finished one 
there's not a lot of room in hostels to begin with, so worked in, I've got used to working in cramped state spaces and being a little bit more creative and using second implementing more secondhand clothing into my designs, which mm. is a big thing. Yeah. And then and then you use that clothing for your stage stuff or did you sell it or you... sometimes I actually wear a bra at work. Um, often that is covered in gems that I handmade in um, Melbourne while I was over in Melbourne. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a little eight-hour piece, but yeah, worth it. So after, like, did you have visas? A visa, or did you just go? Oh, I had a visa. Yeah. I made sure that everything was it was legit. Was legitimate. I'm not willing to risk the whole. Yeah, <laughs> smart. Taking on the border. Yeah, especially Australia. They're not very good on the whole refugee immigration. Oh, um, the police are pretty full on. Yeah. And Sydney is quite a unique environment to live in because of the lockout laws. I don't know if you know very much about that, but um, no, I have never heard of that. That affects the strip club and the nightlife entirely because um, because of a few incidences that took place two to four years ago. There were two incidences where two teenage boys were killed by a knockout punch from behind in King's Cross in the evening. And um, the families wanted the police to do something to curb, to attempt to curb the alcohol-fueled violence, which is, it's kind of a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Australians seem to get drunk and get aggressive. Get rowdy, yeah. Get rowdy. And um, so the government implemented the lockout law in February 2014. So the lockout law is pretty much at 130 the lockout begins where you can't get into bars, pubs, or clubs in Sydney. So it affected areas like Kings Cross, Darlinghurst, Cockle Bay, The Rocks, and Haymarket. So um, after 1.30 at night, that's it? You can't get into any clubs, really and then last drink is 3 a.m. So that sufficiently killed foot traffic in Kings Cross, the region that I worked in. Um, it didn't affect all of Sydney because um, the prime minute, the the person who implemented it, he wanted the clubs to get the money. So a lot of people have the theory that they true, the true reason why they kept the lockout laws in place was so they could funnel the money into the casinos because the casinos were exempt from the lockout laws. You can come and go as you please, and they were open 24 hours a day. Right. So or else would people go to yes, the casino. Or home to bed because it's... 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, 1:30 a.m. They get okay. kicked out, so Even they still? still got some. They still got some partying to do, so <laughs> they try to contain everything. Clearly, the they're not in their 40s. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's um. Hopefully, they start repealing the laws because they truly have killed off King's Cross. What was so? What was it previous to that? You were they were open to when? To whenever. I, like I imagine there was, there was no, no cap. There was no closing time. There was no closing, and the streets were busy. King's, King's Cross know. was just you couldn't move apparently because there's so many people, so much foot traffic. Everybody was out partying on the cross. The cross was the place to be. Any idea of population there? No, I don't. Mm. No. I'm just wondering what do these people do if they're out till that late in the morning? <laughs> it's a bit of a cultural thing. I guess. Head out yeah. to the bar, get drunk, head home. Especially with um, nightlife. There was a, quite the nightlife yeah. Sydney had. Now, is that all week long or is that like Thursday to s Sunday type of thing? Um, 
When I got to King's Cross and started working there, the lockout laws had been in place for a year and a half to two years. So the foot traffic had gone down by at least 80%. And that, it was pretty quiet when I was working there. And that law is, what, is Monday to or seven, seven days a week? Seven days a week. There is no exemption, no exception to the rule. Hmm. And um, that just, it puts such a police presence in the area and I feel like there is a bit of tension between between police and backpackers because there was a lot of backpackers in Kings Cross too. That's where I stayed. I remember coming home one night and sitting with a bunch of bunch of friends and as usual whenever I come home after work I sit and I smoke with them. I headed into the um I headed back to my room and then not five minutes later I look out on my balcony, ten people rushed my friend ten cops rushed my friends. Because they smelled something they didn't like. So at 2 a.m., 3 in the morning, they decided to run through the hostels, chase down some kids, and they were just like, they were threatening to bring dogs, they were threatening to search every room for drugs. Why would they have, a, why would they have an issue with backpackers? Because of the immigration refugee thing? Or just, is there, what's the stigma of a backpacker? In, in, the stigma of backpackers, the backpackers are seen as generally just there to have fun and party without any regard to the environment. Backpackers are starting to have a bit of a bad name. Mm. There is a ban implemented in a beach in Sydney in Christmas because a whole bunch of backpackers, that's who they're blaming it on, left a whole bunch of beer bottles behind. They didn't clean up the beach after themselves. People took photos, there was outrage, and then they were banned from drinking on the beach at all. Yeah. I keep saying immigrant and refugees because I did watch a program um, where they actually have um, an island yeah? where they keep them. Oh. And they have to clear do a clearance. I think it's the refugees that they actually put there. But it's... Yeah. Uh, um, that yeah they have them on an island they have and some of the people are actually have been there for two three years oh, wow. stuck on this island when they were trying to actually get to the mainland but it's where they kind of hold up and go through all the screening process and that so it wasn't a very favorable uh show definitely uh it didn't make uh, australia look very open and warm to um foreigners essentially so that's i was just curious if there is any sort of what do you call it? Connection between that and the backpackers and how they view them. But I, I would suppose Australia is quite the tourist. It is uh, quite. It draws a lot of tourists, so I'm yes. sure that that element is probably more so what it's about, I guess. I believe so. Um, I have never come across any refugees or anyone claiming a refugee status while I was in my hostel. It was, um, like I said, mostly Europeans, a couple Americans. Yeah. Far from refugees, they're just kind of there to work on the farm, party, have a good time. Yeah. Um. So, you. Ex so what? What? How did you get back here? Like I would assume you didn't go anywhere else after that, right? No, no. And then you. So you decided to come back. I did. I um. I wanted to take a couple of years and just get a little bit more focused and get go to school, get some, get a diploma, finish off my diploma, and then take off again. And what do you think you'll, do you have any idea what you want to take? Um, I do want to go into jewelry design. Yeah. So work with my hands a bit more. Hopefully it'll have practical implementations when I graduate. Yeah. 
So now you're now you are where you're here. You're you're in Edmonton and Vancouver. Is like how are you operating that? Um, I live in Vancouver right now, but um, I'm currently working in Edmonton until the ninth. Hmm. And then I head back to Vancouver, and I'm pretty much just gonna. And you're at Shay's Lounge. Jay Pierre Cabaret. Pierre. Oh, I yeah, I always have a hell of a time with that. It's now. always it's good. Just think of it as Pierre's place. It's yeah. French for Pierre's place. Okay. And what's the history of that? I might as well give him a bit of a plug. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Um, it's quite a unique bar, strip club. Um, I call it a strip club boutique because there's anywhere from two to seven girls working there a night. Okay. And it's the smallest club I've ever worked in. So. Yeah. Um. It opened in 1970. It was family owned and operated for over 45 years. It was started by Pierre and it didn't always begin as a strip club. It was it never was always just a strip club. Originally it was a burlesque dance club. He didn't bring in, Pierre himself didn't bring in topless or bottomless dancing until the late 70s when it was strippers were a little bit more accepted I suppose. And then up until two years ago they had no liquor. So JPR was run as, you know, you, didn't, you couldn't drink there. Yeah. But there were stage shows and there were lap dances. And one of JPR's worst kept secrets was you could order special pops if you knew the right people. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you got pops and benefits. All right. If you were, you know, you were nice enough. Slipped a little extra $5 or $10 yeah, yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. Money talks. Right. Money talks. <laughs> So, um, and uh, the owner, the original owner, Pierre, was a boxer from Belgium who came to Canada in 1951 since we're on the immigration subject. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, wait a minute. I thought all Im immigrants didn't do anything. Right? Right. He got a strip club that's been in his family for three generations. It's his grandson, Jesse Cochard, who runs it now. Sweet. That's, that's a great, yeah. I've known the bloke for like. Two and a half years, almost three years that I've been dancing. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't always located where it currently is. It was the first J. Pierre Cabaret was on Jasper Avenue above a Boston pizza. So I think it, I don't quite know what area, but I've had customers tell me before they went to the old J. Pierre's and I had no idea until Jesse told me last night and he confirmed that it wasn't always in the building that it's in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, right now it's on 105th and just north of 100th Avenue, right? Yeah, there. yeah, it's um, 105th Street and 100th Avenue, just north of it. Or do you actually have the address? I don't have the address, no. but oh, it is. It's on 105th Street. Yeah, yeah, just down the road from Jasper, yeah. just off Jasper. And um, yeah, the hilarious thing is, it's right across the street from a church. Yeah, so you can imagine know. how well that went down. Yeah, I could imagine. So there was, in the 80s, there was a lot of protests against the club. I'm guessing the church was yeah. a big um, instigator of those uh, protests. The protesters um, threatened to nail down the, nail the door shut. And um, I'm not quite sure if this is accurate or not, but I believe Pierre just threw a party outside of the club. He was just like, well, screw it. We'll just have a party out here if you're going to lock up the doors. It was something I heard. I'm not quite sure if that's accurate or, yeah. or not, but I imagine that's probably what happened. The city council meetings would have been fun. Oh, I think the, <laughs> I think the seats would have loved it. They would have loved it. But um, 
you know, after all this time and all the struggle, it still stands. And it's been in the running, it's been in the family for, you know, three generations. It used to be run by an uncle who passed, and the building is actually haunted by his ghost. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's, um, like I said, there's an interesting energy in the building. Yeah. So, sometimes I see, like, things out of the corner of my eye or... Nothing, nothing, nothing malicious by anything, but it's an old building, so. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you're there until April 9th. Yes. Then you're back in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, you, uh, because you have your art and everything, maybe we should just give a plug, a plug where if somebody wants to get a hold of you and, and view, uh, view your art or view your uh, photography work or um anything to that regards where can they get a hold of you um well i've got my my public portfolio under the name artemis ravenna and then my my artwork is under the name patchwork stitchcraft okay you can find them both on facebook i don't have instagram i don't have twitter i don't have any social media apart from my email address and facebook that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. i will uh post the links like I normally do with these things on on uh, YouTube and SoundCloud so that if anybody wants to check her out and uh, you know say hi or buy something that she has then uh, by all means do that and I'm glad you came in this uh, pretty interesting conversation um, one day in the future we'll definitely have you back uh, I hope so I hope so thank you um, so the the next podcast uh, that you're going to probably hear or is going to be uh, the one on business planning that I've been meaning to do for Business Owner's Guide to uh, Personal Bankruptcy. And I will try to get that out within the next day or two. But uh, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon.